Welcome back, Intimates. I'm excited to find you experts to talk about love, connection, non-monogamy, polyamory, relationship anarchy, group sex, kink, commitment, and lots of other intimacy and relationship topics. Let's live our best lives together by unlearning stigma and getting clear on what we really want. Don't know what to ask for? I have loads of ideas for you. Of course, none of this would be possible without the support of my amazing Patreon supporters or my current hosts, the Musqueam First Nation on whose unceded lands this podcast was made and this human was born. If you want to support more intimate interactions, you can say thank you by supporting us on Patreon for as little as $1 a month. Patreon supporters also get every episode of the podcast ad-free with short intros and outros. I know funds are not an option for some of you lovely humans, but don't fret, there are other ways you can help out. You can help make more intimate interactions by just telling someone you listen to this podcast. Or if you're feeling especially generous, you can share a link to an episode you like and discuss it with a friend or partner, or even leave us a review on iTunes or your favorite podcasting site. Help other humans interested in more intimacy and better relationships find us. If you have your own podcast, shout us out. Need a podcast guest? Email offers to podcast at victorsalmon.com. I love talking about relationships and intimacy, and I love cross-promotion and working with other podcasters. Okay, let's hear about today's episode. Today we meet someone new, Lauren, who was referred to us by Yana. So before this session, I hadn't actually met her. We talk about motivations behind addiction and the reasons that lead you down that kind of a path. Socialization, bullying, parental coping strategies, validation, acceptance, trauma, and more. Sometimes you kind of have to see yourself dying and make a choice. Fortunately, Lauren made the choice to still be with us telling her story. Content warning for severe alcoholism and suicidal tendencies. Great. So if you think about this as having a conversation with a friend, um, where would you start if you were filling someone in on what you've learned and sort of where you've been and how you got from there to here? So if I was sitting down with a friend, I would probably start start at the beginning of the end of my addiction, probably. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, addiction, if you are somebody who suffers with substance use disorder, you know, it's very progressive for a lot of people. Um, for me, drug addiction was the progressive. Um, alcoholism was, I mean, I knew that I drank differently probably from my first drink. And that was at a very young age. Um, And throughout most of my, well, all of my teen years and the majority of my adult years up until my current age of 32, I got clean at 31. um, I think I just labored under the impression that (laughs) that I was just always going to have a problem with alcohol. And Mm -hmm. that, I mean, I wasn't going to stop drinking, right? Um, Just (laughs) (laughs) wasn't a thought that occurred to me. and then, you know, progressively, um, as more um, self-medication in the form of heavier drugs came into my life around 25, it was a, a bit of a quicker progression after that. Um, and it took until about, you know, 29, 28, 28, 29, um, before I really started seeing the negative consequences in my life happening. Mm-hmm. Um and through all those years, you know, I've I've always battled um, mental health issues as well, thinking that one had absolutely nothing to do with the, with the other. Um, mm-hmm. And when, yeah, so when I hit my, I mean, I hit many bottoms. I think it's kind of relative to the person, their experiences, how many bottoms you can kind of hit. 
um, for a normal person to have some of the things that have happened throughout my addiction, you mm-hmm. know, it would be for them to say, okay, that's it. I'm never drinking or using again. Like I'm walking away from this. Um, right. and those were, things, those were things that I just kind of was like, well, I'm just not going to go to that house again, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and that's kind of the way that I've been able to understand that this is the reality that I am an addict and alcoholic, you know, because your brain kind of wants, well, you're, the contraption of your addiction keeps telling you that it's not really there so that you can, you know, continue. Um, but my, I guess, awakening to the fact that I was, um, it, it wasn't like a super traumatic experience or anything like that. Really what it was, was just the denial being removed from me. Mm -hmm. Um, and I'm kind of in the, you know, sort of unique experience of entering recovery, uh, through a pandemic, I entered recovery and uh, my, my clean and sober date was April 12th. Wow. Yeah. And, um, you know, I couldn't get into a detox center or anything like that. I had to detox, you know, at home. Um, and then I was incredibly lucky to enter a 90 day treatment program through uh, Edgewood health network, um, May, uh, April 30th. So yeah, it was, um, a unique experience to say the least. Mm -hmm. Um, but yeah, the that the long weekend of uh, Easter weekend in April, when I had that moment of you know the denial being ripped away and the realization that every part of my life had to change or I was going to die, was really the beginning of this pretty amazing intense journey um, of the last ten months. And with all of that has come, you know me on the road to self-discovery which mental health and and past traumas has you know all three have kind of healed at once with the lifting of one came the understanding and realization of the the other two Mm -hmm. and being able to work on it and deal with it in a different perspective so it's um it's pretty crazy to look back um where i'm sitting now um like where I was this time last year and my life is pretty much completely different um, in every way. It's almost unrecognizable and right. almost can't really connect to who that person was anymore. <laughs> you know, right. um, it hasn't even really been that long, but yeah, pretty intense journey. So do you mind if I, and feel free to say no, but do you mind if I ask how you did decide to enter recovery? Like what that experience was that led to you making the decision, oh shit, like I'm literally going to die if I don't make this decision. Absolutely. Um, It was an acid trip, actually. So I had, yeah, um, psychedelics use for me was never really a party thing. Um, mm-hmm. I, in the past I've used psychedelics, um, as a form of connecting with myself mm-hmm. and, um, usually it kind of has a habit for me of kind of throwing your demons in your face and being like, deal with it. This is what, this is the truth. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, but that wasn't the intent that I, I, I had with that. Um, at that point last year I was so I guess the denial is was so entrenched in my everyday life that like vomiting blood every other day and like reduced kidney function and extreme ill health did not 
make me realize what was going on and like people dropping like flies overdosing did not mm-hmm. make like snap me out of it you know I, I, it's just that's just where i was and i didn't really know anything else i didn't know any other way to be at that point because it had progressed to chronic use right right um so i was just kind of living that way and not really understanding um what potentially could happen because i was also you know pretty suicidally depressed at that point um which is a point you kind of get to um i learned in treatment once once the addiction gets to that point i I mean i firmly knew um but was not facing the fact that i was looking at probably suicide or overdose Mm -hmm. um and it was i that weekend it was a long weekend and i had been partying pretty straight for a couple of nights and then um i was with somebody who has since now at the time was not somebody i knew really at all but since now has become an extremely close trusted friend and she was like well let's do some acid and i said okay and um the trip ended up being probably the worst and net like the worst and best night of my life because in that experience together um she was in a relationship with somebody who she was realizing was um an addict and in you know me being open with her at that point about some of my use even though I, i had never really been open with anybody um to the truth of what was going on we kind of she was asking me questions um relating to her boyfriend who at the time was on like a three-day bender and was like not in communication with her and i just knew i knew his mental place i knew where he was at Mm -hmm. you know asking me questions like well why is he doing this why is he saying these things where is his mind at right now like you know and i was answering just out of instinct and i didn't realize first that i was answering because he was me and i was him right mm-hmm. um she was telling me like you know what his habits were and how much he was using and how much he was drinking and you know how things in his life were starting to fall apart and they mirrored my life so clearly mm-hmm. um and i just realized in this one big moment that you know oh that's me like i'm an addict because i'm sitting here saying he's an addict and he needs help and she's right. going you, know, you think that he's in danger and i said yeah absolutely you know and then I'm sitting, I sat there and I went, oh my God, well, that's me. And mm. <laughs> it was one of the most terrifying moments of my life. And I didn't really know what to do. I just kind of sat there and I was like, I, I don't know what to do with this. You know, I right. <laughs> can't really go back from that. And I really do think that being on a psychedelic drug definitely drove it home for me. It kind of opened me up to understanding the truth and the reality of where it was at. And I very clearly in that moment saw that, you know, if I didn't actually get help, um, I was probably going to die and it was probably going to be pretty, pretty quick. Um, it wasn't going to be like in the future type thing. It was like the next time I use or the next time I come down off of a bender, like this is, you know, I was already on suicide hotlines pretty, pretty often mm-hmm. at that point. Um, so she called my best friend and, um, and that was the last time I ever drank or used. And, um, yeah, so it wasn't like I hit a, a horrible bottom of, you know, something horrible happening to me. And then the next morning I was like, okay, I'm going to treatment. It was like a, an awakening to the fact that this was real, this was happening, and I needed to get help. And I think it was fear and desperation that really drove me. Mm-hmm. It actually sounds like quite a 
gentle awakening in some respects. Yeah. It, it's yeah. not like it was like a jarring intervention or it was a near death experience. It was just this like coming to this place of truth and sort of taking off all those layers of deniability and then being like, well, what the fuck do I do with this? Absolutely. It was, I remember lying in bed a couple hours later and so, ter- so terrified. I've never been so terrified because I knew that every single aspect of my life was going to have to change. And I mean, how do you face the enormity of that? Right. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, there were ribbons dancing all over my room. So, (laughs) you know, I was being kind of cradled by this, this kind of feeling of like, you're going to, this is the right thing. This is the right choice for you. So yeah, that's definitely a good way of putting it. Um, And I'm, I'm very grateful for that moment. Um, and going through that too with, with that person who I went through that with, that changed her life too. And she's um, like, after that, that night, her life changed massively and she's gone on her own um, self-discovery journey. So that was a big night for both of us. And it's the night that I think changed my life and saved it. To be honest, I really don't think I would have, I would be here if I hadn't gone into recovery when I did. Yeah, it sounds like that. Yeah, absolutely. When and you've and you've mentioned this a couple of times now. You mentioned at one point that thinking about who you were a year ago, that absolutely like nothing seems recognizable. You almost don't recognize that person. Yeah. Um, and you also mentioned this realization from the other side of the looking glass. Sort of everything about my life needs to change. Mm-hmm. I'm. I'm kind of curious to talk more about that, but I don't want to be um, indelicate or ask the wrong question. So I'm curious if you wanted to share some stuff about what some key takeaways were for you or some of the biggest, hardest things to change. Yeah, no, that's a really good question. Um, I mean, at first when I started thinking about, I thought just the drugs needed to stop. Mm-hmm. I hadn't, it took me a couple of weeks to realize that alcohol was kind of the beast that I had to tackle, um, like long-term because I, you know, became a person under the influence of alcohol. I was you know, raised in it and yeah. Um, so that kind of came after, but I knew that I knew that I had to stop running away from the things that I was self-medicating mm-hmm. for. I kind of knew, you know, I'm a pretty intuitive person, but I'd had, you know, when it came to other people, (laughs) for myself, I had blinders on. I was just numbing myself constantly, right? Um, Mm -hmm. And I I think I I realized, well, number one, socially, my life was going to change very much um, until the last, let's say, six months of my addiction when it became very isolated. Um, I was a very social kind of person um under the influence like i um i drank and i used drugs kind of as a social lubricant as a sexual lubricant as a you know way to be intimate as a way to connect with people um and you know i have a lot of anxieties and like social anxiety and stuff like that and Um, I knew that was all going to be kind of like, I'm going to have to figure out how to talk to people. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Uh, um, And, you know, I just, I knew, I don't even really know how to explain how I knew everything was going to change. I guess every part of my life kind of revolved around the fact that I drank and that I used drugs because at Mm -hmm. that point, 
there was not really any point that I wanted to draw a sober breath. You know, if I wasn't on a bender or if I wasn't drinking after work or if I wasn't taking a sleeping pill to go to bed or taking a sedative uh, when I had anxiety or being on various different kind of drugs for depression and, you know, mood stabilizers, whatever, all these drugs that I've been on um, since I was 14 and all these substances I'd been taking um, to deal with basically every emotion um, or to take away or to chemically manufacture pleasure, love and joy. Um, I did not know how to be a person. Mm-hmm. I didn't know alone with myself um sober in any way i didn't know how to face any of the things that i knew that were coming for me um to deal with sober i think that was the enormity like it wasn't so much that like i'm gonna have to drop most of my social circle um who at that point were all um chronic addicts as well right um you know it had stopped being a party you know for a couple of years it wasn't fun anymore um i'd have to you know well, just in the short term, go to treatment, which is <laughs> right. pretty terrifying because I was holding on to my job at that point. Like, oh, you come up with so many excuses like, oh, I, I can't go to treatment. I have a job. It's like, well, if you don't go to treatment, you're not going to have that anyways. But you don't want to hear that. Right. Right. Um, <laughs> so it was more it was more the emotional stuff. It was more the, you know, I'm going to have to face who I am. I'm going to have to, you know, change every routine, you know. I don't really know how to do any of that. And at that point, I didn't realize that, you know, I was going to get to know how to do those things because mm-hmm. people who were going to come into my life as guides and helpers and wonderful, beautiful people who I've met through this journey were going to help me get there. You can't see that on the other side, mm-hmm. right? You're just saying, I can't do this. I don't know how to do this. I can't, right? Right. Like I don't have the tools. Absolutely. Yeah. And that's why I think, um, I hadn't let myself come to the realization of where my life was until that moment. Do you I, think, do you think that denial and avoidance was a strategy you'd used before in your life? Oh yeah, absolutely. So it's kind of, there's this through line from not having the coping strategies when you were younger and mm-hmm. how those coping strategies kind of unintentionally catastrophically led you down this road to where you, where you were. Absolutely. Yeah. And um, uh, disassociative um, episodes that were happening as well. Um, and, and coming to the realization now that I've disassociated a large part of my life. Um, mm-hmm. Absolutely drove that as well. You know, I just turned a blind eye. I, I was very much under the, um, <laughs> this is fine. This is normal kind of, right. thing, you know, um, it's like that dog reading the newspaper and in, in the fire. Paper. Yeah. He's like, that's like my life, you know, <laughs> and it wasn't, it wasn't just drugs and alcohol and like relationships. I couldn't, I couldn't save or keep or have a healthy relationship mm-hmm. um, at any point in my life up until now um, being clean and sober. Um, and I also, you know, financially uh, not in control avoidance, you know, um, right career wise, never going after what I wanted, just falling into what I had, um, avoiding any more kind of, you know, thoughts about, well, I'm not happy doing this. Why am I here? Kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and just in all aspects of my life, I, I never wanted to feel, I just never wanted to feel right. And I avoided it at all cost. And that was, yeah, like you said, catastrophic. Yeah. It's definitely tying into a lot of 
like a lot of the the pieces are sort of clicking together in my brain. Oh yeah, yeah. I have, like, it's a I have, puzzle for me too that I keep finding new pieces, and I'm like, oh my god, you are integral. Where have you been? <laughs> <laughs> I feel like that's a lot of people's experience in counseling when they're dealing with yeah. any kind of trauma. Absolutely, yeah. So speaking of of traumatic beginnings, um, mm-hmm. isn't it isn't it funny how humor and levity get used in these conversations? I just wanted to make that observation. <laughs> oh, I have been told by every counselor that I weaponize humor um, and that I'm very self-aware. And, you know, neither of those two things have really helped me that much. But through there, <laughs> I put them. Um, I do. I mean, I am just kind of a... I, I do enjoy using levity um, in in a lot of conversations and situations, and that's just part of who I am. And you know, when you go through this process of recovery, especially early recovery in the first year, like there's so much seriousness about it right. that sometimes it can just be too much seriousness, you know. Yeah. And you have to find the little times to laugh, you know. Totally. So. That's... I don't shy away from laughing about it sometimes. Right. And that's how I relate to my past traumas and, you know, dealing with my parents and all of my baggage with that. So sometimes my go-to is like, oh, this is this is hilarious in a super dark way. Oh, and yeah. <laughs> most of my addict friends seem to be pretty good with that. But I just wanted to parse that out because we haven't actually had like a face-to-face conversation ever. Yeah. Totally. I, I will say most of the people, uh, I'd say the majority of the people who are in my life now are there um, in the capacity of recovery. Um, and I'll say that um, addicts and alcoholics are the funniest people. They <laughs> um, <laughs> just it's... absolutely hilarious people, very, very sensitive, very intelligent, very creative and very funny. And most of the humor is very dark. And I really love that. Dry mm-hmm. and dark. That's my it's my go-to fair <laughs> so, enough yeah i'm no different and i can definitely make a good joke about it yeah i appreciate that um mm-hmm. so as i was saying speaking about traumatic beginnings um you mentioned you started drinking when you were 14 and given that you gave oh. your age i was just thinking about that in my head and i was like you've probably spent like at least 50 percent of your existence on the planet in some form of addiction I would say earlier than that, I started smoking weed about 12. Wow. Yeah. Um, yeah. So <laughs> that that's not lost on me. And mm-hmm. um, I could take that as like really depressing, but I don't. Instead, I just take it as a miracle that I'm alive. Um, yeah. Because it's very true. Um, and I didn't realize it, that it was that pervasive because, you know, for a lot of years, it was just Lauren likes to party. Lauren likes to have a drink. I mean, you know, I haven't told everybody in my life that I'm an addict, but I'm pretty open about being an alcoholic and none of them were shocked. Right. You know? Um, but yeah, I started, I, I grew up on a very small Island, Bowen Island and, um, oh, yeah. I grew up, yeah. And I grew up in an alcoholic home, you know, my addiction to alcohol is alcoholism is extremely prevalent in my family. It's killed, um, pretty much everybody on my dad's side of the family, my grandparents, um, or my grandfather, my aunt, my uncle. Um, wow. Yeah. And my brother is an addict as well. He's a heroin addict. Uh, he's been in and out of recovery for eight years. And my mother, um, has had a, a problem with alcohol throughout most of her life. And, um, 
as a kid, it was very common and normal. Um, and weed as well. Like weed is one of those things where I don't, you know, I never had like, you know, I didn't go to treatment for weed, but it, it was always there. Right. right. Um, never took it seriously. And now, you know, you could not get me to, you could not get me to smoke a joint to save your life. Not only just right. because that would be breaking my sobriety because I am fully abstinent, but also because I just don't enjoy it. And I never sure. really did. It gave me so much anxiety all the time, but it was well it was something that could take me out of my state of being and it was available it was everywhere right mm -hmm. um and so you know that's what i did i started smoking weed and i i started smoking and then um yeah i had my first drink i had my first drink probably earlier than 14 but 14 is when i kind of really was like oh wow this is a powerful magical elixir that makes me a lot happier right like and this you anxiety and you know i'm a lot more outgoing Right. You mentioned that it, it tied into certain types of functioning, like your ability to talk to people and a pathway to intimacy, which we can get into in a different episode. Yeah, absolutely. So yeah, yeah. It, it, it just sounds like there's, and, and you know, you're not the first person I've heard describe it that way, that they went from not knowing how to talk to anybody, feeling super anxious and uncomfortable around people at parties. And then they realized they made this discovery that if they just had a few drinks, like suddenly they were, they didn't have that. They could interact with people, people liked them. And there was that critical part of validation, like feeling that deep sense of like being wanted somewhere. Yes. And belonging is a big one and mm -hmm. that is one of the root things that i've discovered through um trauma therapy um and just therapy and counseling in general um and it's very common with a lot of other people as well um in recovery that we just want to belong um and finding that sense of belonging in alcohol and in the people who you start hanging out with who want to drink for the same reasons, right? Mm -hmm. You kind of, you find that belonging in the group of outcasts and, rebe and rebels and, you know, being rebellious teenager, you know, um, <laughs> found that sense of belonging that I had never had. I was extremely bullied and outcasted as a kid all throughout elementary school and my first couple of years of high school. So when I started drinking and smoking weed when I was pretty young and, you know, that made me appear rebellious and edgy and cool, I started finding and feeding on that. I belong with people kind of thing. And that stayed with me throughout all of my use, you know, until I got into recovery and then truly felt a sense of belonging among people who, you know, a, a different group of people, less, less, um, <laughs> less, damaging <laughs> <laughs> yeah that's that's completely fair yeah yeah but i mean i think you know people who um are kind of damaged in the same way tend to to flock together sure um and that's definitely what drew me to um a lot of the people a lot of the places and all of the things that i did when i was quite young and starting my my drinking and drug career for sure. I love that that's the way that you describe it, drinking and drug career. Yeah, I was really good at it. Yeah, no one paid me for it, but I, you know, I could be a, I guess, a, a contractor or something like that. <laughs> <laughs> sure. No, that's <laughs> a bad idea. I, I definitely get the, I get that sense, though, that 
it is really hard to almost kill yourself and not kill yourself. And there's almost this like twisted kind of pride that comes with like, I have lived through a lot of shit friend, you know, like that kind of feeling. Yeah. Oh, totally. Yeah. Yeah. And then just kind of being like, but instead um, I'm going to go grocery shopping today. Right. You know? Yeah. I'm, totally. I'm going to do the much harder thing and choose to live. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Yeah. It is. It is the much harder thing. Um, yeah. Living in addiction though is, I think a lot of people think that recovery is really hard. And for the first little while, I, I told myself that line, like, oh, God, you're going to be in this for the rest of your life. You can't put your program down for a day. Like, that's so hard. This is hard. It's so hard. Mm-hmm. And then one day, I'm like, would you shut up? No, the hard part is living in addiction. That's the hard part. That's that's difficult. That's life on the hardest mode possible, right? Yeah. Um, it's <laughs> I already went through the hard part. Um, and the recovery part is the easy part. It's, it's just tedious sometimes. Yeah. As I think any kind of maintenance of life is, whether it's washing your hands every time you come home or whether it's (laughs) going grocery shopping once, once every two weeks or once a week and knowing that you're going to have to do multiple trips of bags. And it is so hard to reframe that as I'm so lucky that I can go to the store and get everything I need once every two weeks and be at minimal risk for a pandemic when much poorer folks don't have those options. Yeah. And that's where gratitude comes in um, and, and changes a lot of things mm-hmm. because said about, you know, making your mind up to kind of take yourself out of the equation and then having to stay in it. Um I, I felt very trapped for a really long time. Mm-hmm. Like, I, I don't want to be here, but I have to be here. And that resentment kind of really threw a wrench into, well, it didn't throw a wrench, but it, it kind of threw a Molotov cocktail into an oven of addiction for me. Um, <laughs> okay. <laughs> I was like, if I'm going to be here, I'm going to be obliterated all the time. Um, and gratitude, like even in, in the beginning of recovery, you know, um, I still was like, you know, I just don't want to have to deal with this every single day. And once the gratitude piece comes in, that changes. Um, and, and, and the gratitude starts coming in with the relief of the, the kind of mental health that I've been dealing with my whole life that changed dramatically. Mm-hmm. Um, and my, my perspective towards dealing with it changed dramatically through the process of recovery. Um, and you know, it's a big difference, uh, waking up in the morning and going, I'm so grateful to be alive to waking up in the morning and going, oh, I just really don't want to wake up, you know, and to right. like walk street and think like it's a beautiful day out i'm so happy i'm here to witness this as opposed to i wish i could be anywhere else anyone else please god please right right yeah it's it's <laughs> it's pretty insane to go from one to the other um in a pretty short amount of time that's kind of like part of the gifts of sobriety as they say right Yeah. And it is a pretty extreme change that you've managed to outline in like half an hour. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Well, I've had a lot of time to think about it. That's fair. Uh, (laughs) Yeah. I mean, not to say that it's not without its mundane um, issues and, you know, complexities and days of just nothing but anger for no reason. Um, But generally speaking, that has been the change. Yeah. Mm -hmm. 
Okay. Well, let's let's wrap this episode up here, and then we'll pick it up in another episode later. Sounds good. Well, thank you so much for being on Intimate Interactions, Lauren. Thank you so much for having me. It's been great. So how was it, Intimates? Let us know on Patreon or start a discussion on Facebook. And if you want to keep being super awesome, you can help us out by going and leaving us a review on iTunes or Stitcher. Social proof like that helps so much. You can also just tap share on this episode and send it to someone you think might like it. Thanks so much for helping build the community and the show. I look forward to chatting with you on Discord or writing back and forth on Patreon. The intro music was Show Me, the instrumental version by Josh Woodward, and this outro music is Arrival by How the Night Came. Thank you so much.